So thankful to be here this evening and so thankful to see everyone in attendance and pray that you've all had a, a blessed day. Before I begin the study, I want to give my gratitude to the congregation here for having my wife and myself here with you. Um, we are so thankful for the privilege to be able to serve and we're so thankful for the privilege of receiving your service. And we have been encouraged, we have been inspired and uh, are so thankful for this opportunity. Come see us sometime in, in Fort Smith, get on I-40, drive through Oklahoma, exit 325, hit it, and uh, we're not too far from there. You get that close, we'll come get you and get you there. And uh, so we want to uh, give you that invitation, and also I wanna say I appreciate the feedback on the messages for this week. Uh, appreciate your thoughts, appreciate your advice, appreciate um, your, uh, your reflections on some of the things that we've talked about. And uh, as my lovely wife told me a long time ago, if anybody thanks you for a good lesson, you tell them to thank the Lord. So I'm telling you to thank the Lord if you have gotten anything out of the messages, and I just try not to get in His way. And if I've gotten in His way, I'm sorry. Um, this evening for a little while we want to close out my part of the lesson or my part of the week and looking forward to Brent being here and teaching us. We want to study about laying up treasure. <clears throat> the other day we talked about don't sin. But there's more to the Christian life than just not sinning. But we're told in the scriptures to lay up treasure. And this evening we want to, under we want to understand what it means to lay up treasure and why it is so important to lay up treasure. And we want to speak to the subject of salvation and how laying up treasures, uh, how that plays into the salvation that you and I are striving for and seeking for in Jesus Christ. There are two texts that we want to look at, Matthew chapter 6 and 1 Timothy chapter 6. And as we look at these texts, we want to understand what Jesus is saying and what Paul is saying and understand its meaning for us today. First of all, in Matthew chapter 6, whenever Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount, and to me, the Sermon on the Mount is kind of the foundational sermon for all Christianity. And so Jesus is speaking to basics of Christianity, things that we need to know, basics that we need to know in order to be disciples of Jesus. And included in that message, in verse number 19, Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So when in Jesus' initial sermon that we have recorded in the scriptures, here he brings up the subject of laying up treasures. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 6, chapter 6, verses 17 to 19, he touches on that same theme or that same subject also, where he tells Timothy, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Now in Jesus's, in his sermon, he says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And here the apostle Paul says to store up talking to the rich people, good works in order to build what he refers to as a good foundation for the time to come. 
whenever we look at the phrase or look at the words laying up or storing up, they come from a Greek word which means to amass or to put in reserve. To lay up a treasure, to keep in store, to heap treasure. Well, why is it that we put something in a treasure chest? We generally treasure something up for future use, don't we? Those of us that are getting older, hopefully we've been putting, we've been treasuring up money for retirement. It's not money that we use right now. It's not something that we have right now. We earn it right now, but we put it up in order for some future use. That whenever we get to retirement age, we're going to count on that money that we have put up in store. Another example of the usage of this word is 1 Corinthians 16 and 2 where Paul talks about on the first day of the week let each one of you lay something aside storing up as he may prosper that there be no collections when I come. So Paul tells the Corinthians you lay something up in store. Well why did he want them to lay something up in store? Because later on in the future Paul and his people were going to come by and they were going to get that gift and they were going to take it to Jerusalem. But the point that I want to emphasize about the word treasuring up or laying up is that we treasure things or we store things for future need. And so whenever Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, the implication is, well, if we're going to lay it up in store, we're going to need it later. Or whenever Paul told Timothy to tell the rich people to do good works that they may store up for themselves a good foundation against the time to come. So when you see the words lay up or store up, that doesn't just mean you put it up there and forget about it. It means you put it up there and sometime in the future, you're going to be using what you put up. Well, these treasures that we're supposed to be putting up, what is the future use for them? Well, Paul gives us a hint of that in chapter 1 Timothy 6. In verse number 18, he says, Let them do good that they be rich in good works. To be rich in good works is the same thing as being rich in money. You got a lot of it. You got a lot of it. And so he's saying, tell them to be rich in good works, to keep putting up good works, to have a lot of good works, to be ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come. Well, what's a foundation? A foundation is something that you stand on. It's something that supports you. And so again, going back to our retirement analogy, whenever we put up all of that money for future use, whenever we retire, that retirement fund becomes the foundation for our living. That's what we're standing on. That's what we're relying upon. And so the good foundation for the time to come, that this time to come has reference to us laying hold on eternal life. So in other words, there's going to be a time in the future where we're going to need our good works in order to stand upon them that we might be able to lay hold on eternal life. The good works that you do don't, after you do them, vaporize and go off into the nether and they're never remembered again. Your good works, my good works, are put in a store chest for us to eventually encounter and use again in the days ahead. Well, obviously, I think that the Apostle Paul, that future time that is to come, 
that foundation that we're building, the time that is to come is the judgment day. That all of the good works that we do now, that we're putting them up in store so that whenever the judgment day comes, for us to lay hold on eternal life, we will have built for us a good foundation to stand upon before our judge. This word lay up in store is used in connection with the judgment in other places. In Romans chapter 2 and verse number 5, here Paul is talking about the judgment that is going to come upon the unbeliever. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up, same Greek word, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation for the righteous judgment of God. So he's talking to all the evil people and he's saying all of that evil that you're doing, it's going into a treasure chest. And there's going to come a day when that treasure chest is going to be open and the wrath of God is going to come upon you because of what you have stored up. So Jesus tells us to lay up treasures in heaven, but it's also possible for us to lay up for ourselves wrath in that day. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, Peter says, For the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved. That's the same Greek word, which means laid up in store. This earth that we live on, this universe that we live in, is being put up in store for a day that is to come. And when that day comes, the, that they are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. So here are two instances where the phrase store up is being used in reference to the judgment. And so whenever we look at the importance of us storing up good works, we need to understand that we're storing up good works for the judgment. We're storing up good works for the day that our Lord returns. And the reason is we're going to be judged according to our works. I want to say something about this here. <clears throat> you know, we're taught in the scriptures that we're saved by grace and not of works. And to some people, it sounds almost scandalous to say that we're going to be judged by our works and whether we go to heaven or not depends on our works. So much so that oftentimes this idea of judgment is avoided. It just doesn't sound like it comports with the idea of salvation by grace apart from works. And we're going to try to explain how all of this works. But the first thing that we want to understand is that we are going to be judged according to our works. And the Bible is very clear in Romans chapter 2 verses 5 to 10. As we've already referenced, notice verse number 6 where Paul talks about how that God will render to each one according to his deeds. Anytime you read in the Bible about the judgment of the Lord, it is always going to be according to your deeds. There is no other way that God judges other than according to your deeds. And this verse that he cites here is Psalm 62. It comes from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Lord judged according to their deeds. In the New Testament, the Lord is going to judge according to our deeds. Grace doesn't change that. Grace does not change that. 
Notice what he says in verse 6, or in verse number 7. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good. If you do good, you patiently continue in doing good, then you'll lay hold on eternal life. Then he goes on to say, who seek glory and honor and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory, honor and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also the to the Greek. The Bible is very clear. Paul is very clear that when the Lord comes in judgment, those that do evil will receive tribulation and anguish. Those that do good, eternal life, glory and immortality. Judged according to our deeds. Matthew 16, 26 to 27. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of the Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. That's why we need to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. That's why we need to be rich towards God in good works because it's those good works that will be brought forth in judgment and God will, or rather the Lord will, judge us according to those works. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 5 and in verse number 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. When the Lord judges us in the judgment day, it will be according to our works. And you might say, why do you keep saying that over and over again? Because sometimes whenever we hear that, as I said, it just doesn't seem like it fits with what Paul says about salvation. How that salvation is not of works, but rather that it is of grace through faith. Well, one thing is very clear. The Bible teaches us that we're going to be judged according to our works. So let's look at that question for just a moment. The fact that God judges us or the Lord judges us according to our works is that works salvation. You know, I appreciate the intent and I appreciate the heart of, of some that I've talked to that, that again, the idea of our works having anything to do with our salvation is just, it's scandalous. It's just so against what God teaches and what Paul teaches about salvation. <clears throat> and so the dilemma is, well, how do we reconcile being judged by works with being saved by grace through faith, not of works? Have you ever thought about what judgment will look like? What's going to take place in judgment? Now, I don't have all the questions about how that God is going to do judgment, but one of the things that I think is very clear in the Bible is we can identify where all of the interested parties are going to be on that day. <laughs> <clears throat> 
And here's an idea that I hear a lot. Here's an idea that I've even thought and entertained to try to reconcile being judged by works and being saved by grace through faith, not of works. That in the judgment day, God's going to be sitting on the throne. And when God is sitting on the throne, then we're going to be brought before God. And then whenever we're brought before God, Jesus Christ is going to be standing there with us. And as we stand before God, God is going to look at us and He's going to convict us as sinners. But Jesus is going to be there and say, No, Father, I cover His sin. And He pleads our case before the Father. And then upon the recommendation of Jesus, we go to heaven. But is that what the Bible teaches? I'm here to tell you the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't teach us that we're going to stand before God with Jesus Christ by our side. Jesus Christ is by our side. But he's by our side today. He's by our side today interceding for us and mediating for us on our behalf towards the Father. But in the judgment day, there's going to be a different arrangement. Whenever we look at the judgment, first of all, God is not going to be the one sitting on the judgment seat. The Bible is very clear about who's going to be on the judgment seat. Christ is on the judgment seat. John 5, God even said of Jesus, for the Father judges no one, but he's committed all judgment to the Son. All judgment is committed to the Son. The Father gave him that authority. Acts 17, 30 to 31, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he's appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. God is going to judge the world in righteousness by someone whom he has ordained to do that. Well, who has he ordained? Well, he has given us assurance of this or given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. In other words, the one that was raised from the dead is the one that's going to be judging the world in righteousness. Who is that? That's Jesus. Jesus is sitting on the throne. Romans 14, 9 to 10. For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again that he might be Lord of both the living and the dead. Why do you judge your brother or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Christ is sitting on the judgment seat. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. For each one must, may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So whenever we look at the judgment scene, it's not God that's sitting on the judgment seat with Jesus by our side to plead our case to God. Christ is sitting on the judgment seat. Now who's by our side? What are we standing on now? What do we have in judgment as a foundation to stand before the judge 
Jesus Christ. All of those works that we've laid up in store. You see, the one that's sitting on the throne, or the one standing beside our side today, is going to be sitting on the throne in that day. The one that is pleading our salvation today, if you're a sinner, the one that is pleading for your salvation today, when it comes to the judgment, you can't reject him all of your life and then expect him in the judgment to plead to God that you go to heaven. It doesn't work that way. The one you reject today is the one that you will face in judgment and give an answer for why you rejected him over and over and over again. Every excuse that you made, you will be held accountable for each excuse as you look at the one that came to be your Savior all of your life but now sits before you as the judge of your eternal destiny. He's your friend today. And he pleads with you today. But in the judgment, he'll be your judge. And his judgment will be righteous. And those of us that are Christians, if we're just kind of flowing through life thinking, well, Christ has got all of this. I don't have to worry about anything. And then we stand, then we come into judgment and we realize that Jesus is not there. Jesus is up there. And then we open up our chest and there's nothing in there because we thought Jesus was going to take care of it all. We'll be in a hopeless situation. <clears throat> you see, Jesus is going to look at our works and then he's going to judge us accordingly. Isn't that what the Bible teaches? Yes. Further evidence of being judged according to our works, the judgment seen in Matthew 25. Whenever the Lord comes with his angels, and it says, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of the Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So he says to those who are saved, well, why are you saved? Because you did good works. I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. Well, when did we do that, Lord? Inasmuch as you did it to the one of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And then the ones that are going to be condemned and sent to eternal damnation, I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you didn't take me in. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Well, when did we see you do in those circumstances? Inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not unto me. Isn't that being judged according to your works? And whenever we stand before the Lord in judgment, that's how Jesus depicts the judgment scene. He doesn't depict the judgment scene with him standing by our side advocating for us to God in order to go into heaven. We are before the judge, Jesus Christ, with the works that we've laid up in store. <clears throat> but I thought salvation was not of works. And it's not of works. 
But salvation not of works does not exclude judgment according to works. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now how can salvation not be of works, but we're judged according to our works? That doesn't make sense. Yet the Bible is very clear that we're judged according to our works and we're to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven so that we'll have a good foundation to stand upon before the judge, Jesus Christ. How do we reconcile this? The understanding is in how we view salvation. You know, a lot of times we think of salvation as going to heaven. Salvation is much more than just going to heaven. Going to heaven is the fruition of salvation. But salvation begins all the way back over here when we were sinners. Notice what Paul says in this text. In Ephesians 2 verse number 1, notice where he begins. You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And then he says in verse number 5, Even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. When Paul is talking about salvation not being of works, in the Ephesians 2 text, he's not talking about people going to heaven, but rather he's talking about salvation in the sense of the sinner becoming a saint. That's salvation. We refer to that, and the Bible refers to it as justification. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, and then we are made alive together with Jesus Christ. By grace you have been saved. And that is not of works. Remember our first sermon Sunday morning where we talked about not of the world. We defined a little Greek word, ek which means originates in or out of. What Paul is saying here has nothing to do with judgment at the end of time. What Paul is talking about here is when you were a sinner, there was no good thing that you did that caused the Lord to save you. He didn't look at J. Lloyd as a sinner and think, boy, J. Lloyd has done some really good works. I think I'm going to save him. In other words, my salvation going from sinner to saint didn't originate or was not born out of some good thing or things that I did. It was all because of God's grace. I could do all the good works that I could think of and I'd still be a sinner because I had sinned. In all of those good works, while they may be good works, they could do nothing to take away the guilt of my sin. The only way I could be saved is by the willingness, the graciousness, the love, and the mercy of God. That's what it means, not of works. That doesn't have anything to do with judgment on that end. Paul is talking about right here, right now. Notice Titus chapter 3, verses 4 to 7. But when the kindness of the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by, that word by is the same little Greek word, ek, 
It means out of. He's saying the same thing to Titus that he said to the Ephesians. Not by works of righteousness which we have done. In other words, when I was over here and I was a sinner, I just did so many good works that God decided he was going to save me. That didn't happen that way. But he says, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Mercy is something that is given to a situation where the recipient of that mercy has no hope or has no resources to do anything for themselves. And as a sinner, that's what we are. We have no hope, we have no resources, we can't do anything for ourselves. That's why it's called mercy. Notice this, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Well, when does the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit take place? Does it take place when we go to heaven? No. It takes place from when we go to sin or to saint. You see, Paul is still talking about over here. Whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, over here, I am justified by his grace. I am made right by his grace. I am a sinner, I am in Christ, therefore I am justified because of the death and the blood of Jesus Christ. And then I become an heir, I become an heir according to the hope of eternal life. <clears throat> and so whenever Paul gives all of this discussion about salvation not being of works in Titus and in Ephesians and in Galatians and in Romans, he's not talking about going to heaven. He's talking about what God does to take us from being a sinner to a saint. <clears throat> Something to notice about the Ephesians 2 text and the Titus 3 text. That just as soon as Paul gets through saying, you go from a sinner to a saint by the grace of God through faith, what does he say in verse number 10? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before ordained that we should walk in them. You see, when Paul says that salvation is not of works, he's talking about works on this side of Jesus Christ. But then once we're in Jesus Christ, then Paul says, you've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. Did you know and do I know that that's why we're saved? God didn't save us just to go to heaven. That's what we think it is because we take a very selfish view of salvation. We think that salvation is all about ourselves. Just me going to heaven. Salvation is not about me. Salvation is like anything else spiritual. It's all about God. And God has beforehand ordained that if you are in Christ, if you are my children, you're going to walk in good works. That good works aren't just good ideas or good things to do if it's convenient. It's the very purpose for which you were saved and I was saved. Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared before that we should walk in them. Understand that. 
Because in the day and age, and I appreciate so much the true doctrine of salvation by grace through faith, not of works, but I think in some ways we've misunderstood it to where we just take that as a general minimization of any type of work in serving God. And that is a complete misunderstanding of what the Bible teaches. If our view of salvation minimizes the importance of works in our life, we misunderstand salvation. Titus chapter 3, after he just gets through talking about how that we are justified by grace, notice what he says in verse number 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. We are saved for good works. Titus 2.14 Christ gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself, his own special people, to take to heaven. <laughs> Doesn't read that way, does it? In all of these explanations that Paul is giving about salvation, what's following each one? Zealous of good works. As believers in Jesus Christ, before we get over here to the heaven part, God's got a plan for us here. We're sinners. He's going to save us by grace through faith, not of works. He's going to put us in Christ and now he's going to bring to himself a people that's created for good works, that are supposed to maintain good works, that are supposed to be zealous of good works. We haven't got to heaven yet. And so now we're going to continue to live our life in good works. Let's look at it. Hopefully this diagram will work. <laughs> okay, we're a sinner. Without hope, nothing we can do. There's no good work that we can do that's going to cause God to save us. But because of his mercy and grace, we were dead in our trespasses and sins and then he made us alive together with Jesus Christ. And that was not of works and not by works of righteousness. But after we were made saints, we were ordained unto good works which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what do you think then the judgment is going to be about? Well, when the judgment comes... We're going to be judged according to our works. What works are we talking about? Works that earn salvation? Works that merit salvation? No. Works that manifest the fruit of abiding in Jesus Christ. You see, Christian works are fruit. There is a big difference between a work that merits or earns something and a work that is a fruit or a product of something. These types of works can't save us. These types of works are the works that we have been saved for. Can I be a fruitless Christian? Can I be a fruitless Christian and then expect to get in judgment with Jesus by my side and God on the throne and Jesus is saying, Lord, I know he was a fruitless Christian, but I've got him. No, it's not going to work that way. 
What you're going to have is Jesus on the throne, and you're going to have all of these works that you've laid up in store, or all those works that you haven't laid up in store, or I haven't laid up in store. Notice what Paul says in Colossians 1.10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, I think that we can all agree that if God saves us, He wants us to live in a way that's going to please Him. How do we please Him? By being fruitful in every good work. Titus 3.14, again in Titus chapter 3, Paul says, Let our people also learn to maintain good works to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. Yes, these works over here, they don't save us. Because they're works of merit. And there's nothing we can do to merit salvation to go from a sinner to a saint. But these works over here, they're the works that we're supposed to have in our treasure chest to be opened up the day that the Lord comes. These are works that are expected of us, that we are saved for. John 15, 4 to 8, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, what is the evidence that we abide in Christ and Christ abides in us? We bear much fruit. For without him you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in him, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. We're not saved just to go to heaven. We are saved to glorify the Father. And the way we glorify the Father is by from here to here being fruitful in good works, doing good works, laying those works up in a treasure, those works that glorify God in the present, and those works that will meet us at the judgment to lead us into eternity. Philippians 1.11 Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You know, if you take the attitude and I take the attitude, well, works aren't really necessary. They're pretty good if we can do them. You know what we're saying? Well, glorifying God really isn't necessary. It's good if we can do it. Is that the attitude to have towards glorifying God? then we shouldn't have that attitude towards the fruits that bring glory to Him. <clears throat> well, that's, that's kind of scary to think that when I go in judgment, I'm going to have to have done enough in order to get to heaven. And that's the first thought that usually comes in, in our minds. Well, 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 how many works do we have to do? How much do we have to do in order to, be, to have confidence that we're going to be saved? You know, I hear a lot about having a confidence and having assurance in salvation. And the Lord gives us confidence and He gives us assurance in salvation. But sometimes we like to conjure up a deceptive confidence and a foolproof confidence that really lets us off the hook for everything. <laughs> like I say, we're going to go into judgment. God's on the throne. Christ is by my side. Hey, I don't have to worry about how I live, with my li- how I live my life. 
because Jesus is going to be there to bail me out. He ain't going to be there to bail us out. He's already bailed us out. He bailed us out over here. And he gave us a purpose for why he bailed us out. And then whenever we come over here, if we haven't lived according to that purpose, you know, the Lord's judgment is righteous. Do you think that it is righteous to be created for a certain purpose, not fulfill that purpose, but then be ushered into eternity? That's not righteous judgment. That's just a big get-out-of-jail-free card. Jesus is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. Jesus will be our judge. Well, then what is our confidence? You know, like I, I've been told before, well, you know, really, you know, if, if you're in Christ, nothing else matters. <laughs> if you're in Christ, everything matters. Everything matters. And this idea, well, we want to have confidence in judgment, and so we conjure up these scenarios that give us confidence. We want our confidence to be based in truth. And the Bible tells us how we can have confidence in the day of judgment. 1 John 2, 28 to 29. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Have you ever been called to do something and whenever the time came to do it, you weren't prepared? <laughs> and then you know that the people that were counting on you and then all eyes are on you and you're standing there and you know you're not ready. Do you know the feeling of that shame? That's what John is talking about. That whenever we come into judgment... We're either going to come into judgment with confidence or we're going to come into judgment with shame. And notice what he says in verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. See, our confidence is in our abiding in him. Well, what did we study just a little while ago about abiding in him? In John 15 and verse number 5, He who abides in him and I in him bears much fruit. So my confidence is I'm going to abide in him. And if I'm abiding in him, I'm going to bear much fruit. And if I'm bearing much fruit for the Lord, I can have confidence that whenever the Lord comes, I can stand before him as a fruit bearer and not be ashamed and hope that Jesus bails me out. Philippians 1, verse number 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness. <clears throat> That's where our confidence is. Our confidence is not in some unbiblical arrangement in judgment that lets us off the hook and allows us to get in without any concern of whether we do good works or not. That is a confidence that is not biblical. And if it's not biblical, then it's born of the devil. And there's a lot of Christians today who sit in complacency counting on that scenario to play out in judgment. I've heard it from individuals. I've even heard it preached from the pulpit. 
but it's not biblical. As we live our life, we are to do good works. We're to put those good works in a treasure. And those, that treasure that we're putting in store, the future use is going to be in judgment. You see, Paul's confidence was in his work. Oh, now, you know, you're saying too much now. And I know that in saying that to some people, hopefully not here, but to some people that would be offensive to them. Because for us to, have, to, to claim any part in our salvation robs God of his glory. That if God is going to get all of the glory, then everything has to be all God, and I can't contribute or have anything to do with that. That sounds like boasting to me. And the Apostle Paul said, we're not supposed to boast, that we have nothing to boast in except the, the cross of Jesus Christ. But you know what? There's a guy in the Bible that stated that his confidence in salvation, in going to heaven, was rooted in what he did. You know who that man was? The Apostle Paul. Notice what Paul says here. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. How many of us tonight would stand Paul to the pace and tell Paul, Paul, you quit your boasting. You quit your boasting. We wouldn't do that because we knew and we know what Paul understood about salvation. Whenever Paul said, I fought a good fight, I finished the course, I've kept the faith, he believed in his heart as he told the Corinthians, I am what I am by the grace of God. And whenever we produce fruits and whenever we produce works to put in our treasure chest to take with us into heaven, we're not giving glory and praise to ourselves. We're giving glory and praise to Jesus. Why? Because for the same reason that Paul did what he did, we do what we do. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And so it's not boasting. And it's not against salvation or salvation by grace to say that whenever we go into judgment that our works are our foundation to stand on because that's what Paul told the rich people or Paul, Paul told Timothy to tell the rich people you tell them to do good works to build for themselves a good foundation against the day to come <clears throat> well I want mercy in judgment I want mercy in judgment. I've, you know, again, I've, I've heard this before and I've, I've thought, you know, when I stand before God, I don't want God to judge me according to what I've done. I want mercy. Well, the Bible's already clear. He's going to judge us according to what we have done. So, if you want mercy in judgment and I want mercy in judgment, how are we going to get mercy? Matthew 5, 7, Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. If you want mercy and judgment and I want mercy and judgment, there better be some mercy in that chest. There better be some mercy in that chest. 
James 2.13, for judgment is without mercy to those who have shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So if we want mercy and judgment, then we need to show mercy. We should have in our chest works and fruits of mercy. That whenever we open up that chest and the righteous judge sees in our chest that there are fruits of mercy in that, you know what? He's going to judge us according to that. You've shown mercy. You've been charitable. You've done good. I'll judge you according to that. But don't expect to open up a chest and find a scoundrel in there and then expect the righteous judge to have mercy on us. It doesn't work that way. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Some question about the meaning of that statement, but I think as uh, one commentator said, it says in, in his idea is that mercy there represents the merciful man. The merciful man triumphs over judgment. So when we go into judgment, if we have shown mercy, then we're going to triumph over judgment. Judgment is not something that we have to be ashamed about. Judgment is something that we can have confidence in. You know, and sometimes we think, well, judging according to works doesn't sound like mercy, when in fact the Bible says specifically that is mercy. <laughs> Notice Psalm 62, verse 12. Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy, for you render to each one according to his work. Now sometimes in our mind, well, I don't want to be judged according to my work. Because that wouldn't be merciful. But the psalmist says, it is merciful. It is merciful. For me to go into judgment, this is what mercy looks like in judgment. Here I am, I'm a sinner. I've been covered by the blood of Jesus all my life in order to live in a right relationship with him. And then whenever I stand before Jesus, the righteous judge, he knows all about me. But whenever he sees that I've been merciful, he's going to be merciful to me, even though I deserve punishment. That's where our mercy comes from. Your mercy and judgment and my mercy and judgment is, a, is in direct relation to what we have in our treasure chest when we go to judgment. <clears throat> so when we go to judgment, don't expect this scenario. That God's on the throne, I'm right here, Jesus is right here, and then whenever God says, you're a sinner, you're going to go to hell, Jesus is going to say, no Lord, no Lord, I've got him. I've got him. That's not salvation by grace. That's a perverted view of judgment that leads to a false confidence that causes us to minimize fruits and works in the kingdom of the Lord. It's unbiblical. Don't believe it. But when we stand in judgment, it will be this way. The one that died for us, the one that suffered on the cross for your sins and my sins, the one that was resurrected from the grave, the one that sits in the presence of God right now, this very moment, interceding for us to God, is going to be the one sitting on the throne. And you're going to stand there, and I'm going to stand there. And we're going to have a treasure chest. And we're going to open up that chest. And the Lord's going to look into that chest. And he's going to judge us according to what's in that chest. 
Does that chest earn us salvation? No, it doesn't earn us salvation. You know, in all of this, we're not talking about earning anything. We're just talking about showing evidence that we have lived to and fulfilled the purpose for which we were saved, to bear fruit to the glory of God. And so the question tonight and the question we leave you with is, what do you have laid up in store? What do you have laid up in store? If you're here tonight and you're a sinner, I can tell you what you have laid up in store. Not me. The Apostle Paul tells you what you have laid up in store. You have wrath. You have wrath. Romans chapter 2. That the sinner treasures up wrath. Each time that you rejected Jesus, each time that you have rejected Jesus, that goes into your treasure chest. Each time that you make an excuse for not obeying the gospel, that goes in that treasure chest. And then over and over and over you go through your life making excuses and rejecting Jesus. Then one day you're going to stand before the Lord and you're going to open up your chest and Jesus is going to look into it and all he's going to see is a treasure chest full of rejection and excuses. That person that's sitting on that throne was first on a cross. That's where his mercy is. If you wait to the judgment day to look for the Lord's mercy then and you reject him all your life, it's too late. Because he offered you his mercy on the cross. He offers you his mercy today. So if you're not a Christian, understand that that's the scenario that you're looking at. That the Lord's going to see a box full of rejection and excuses and He's going to judge you accordingly. If you are a Christian and you consider your treasure chest, maybe you've lived in a false confidence that, well, I don't have to do anything because God is gracious and God is merciful. You know, one thing that we read about the judgment of God in the judgment day, we read it as a righteous judgment I, I, I haven't checked it but I don't think that it ever says a gracious judgment or a merciful judgment it's always a righteous judgment and what is right is for us to be saved over here to do good works to the glory of God then we do good works to the glory of God. We put those works in our chest. We open up our chest and the Lord sees what we were saved for. Good works to the glory of God. And He looks in our chest and He sees mercy. And therefore, mercy triumphs over judgment. And He judges us according to that. So if you're a Christian tonight and you haven't been intentional and purposeful about doing good works, then you're not going to have a leg to stand on in the judgment. You're going to have an empty box with no foundation to stand before the Lord. One thing that Jesus makes very clear in John chapter 15, that those branches that don't produce fruit, what does He do with them? He cuts them off, He casts them aside, and they're burned in the fire. This is serious. This moment right now has eternal and profound implications on your soul. 
And I hope that the words that we've talked to you tonight will be words that are clear and that you understand them and that you understand the time and the seriousness of the moment when you stand before Jesus, just you, him, and your chest. So if anyone wants to do something about their chest tonight, the congregation stands ready to assist you. We'd ask you to come up as we stand and sing.